And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Is one of those days. Hello, everyone. We are at the end of the week. It's Thursday. It's raining here in Kansas City. It's cold outside. And the big news, there's big Marvel news. It's just breaking. We'll get to that here in a minute. The comments are up. The chat's open. If you are with us live, excuse me, if you're with us live, you can share your thoughts. Uh, We're on all the socials. You can connect with us over there. And uh, you can find us uh, with an email, live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. And in a podcast form, you can find us on iHeart, Pocket Cast, Amazon, Spotify, Apple, Double Twist, TuneIn, Stitcher, Listen Notes. And I have to say, this is uh, this is this is kind of big news. Speaking of uh, speaking of the news, we do have a newsletter. We want you to sign up for that because you never know. We could get completely deplatformed off of every social media channel that we have. Hello, Stephanie in the chat. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Over on Twitch, we are broadcasting to YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook. Over on Twitch, we're trying to get up to at least 100 followers, and we're going to start our watch parties up again. So go sign up over there, if you don't mind. Twitch.tv slash sci-fi for me. So let's do this here first really quick. The big heap of news that's just breaking in the, in, the, in the media, in the wire, just coming over the wires, as they used to say, Marvel Comics has broken off with Diamond as their distributor. Now, if, if you don't follow comics... This is a big heap of deal. Diamond Comics Distributors has essentially been a monopoly when it comes to distribution of comic books, especially to the comic book shops. Now, there are other avenues for graphic novels and the like to make it to bookstores, but for the direct market, the local comic book shop, Diamond has been it. And last year, at the beginning of the lockdown, DC decided to end their relationship with Diamond and start using a couple of different ones, uh, DCS and, uh, is it DCS, BCS, and Lunar. And they're still using Lunar at this point. And the graphic novels were going to be distributed through Penguin Random House. And now we get word today, this is just breaking Newsarama here, uh, Games Radar Newsarama, because Newsarama got folded into Games Radar, but they are uh, they are going to be using Penguin Random House as their distributor, not only for the graphic novels going to bookstores, but also they're going to use Penguin Random House for comic book shops. So the monthly periodicals, the floppies, the single issues, are going to be distributed through Penguin Random House, and not Diamond. Now, this is, for for those who don't know, this is a big deal. And I have a feeling that this is going to break Diamond. Diamond was already hurting. And one of the reasons why DC had broken off last year was because Diamond was sitting on so many different books in their warehouses and weren't paying their bills Now, the situation was a little bit different. You had the lockdown. Comic book shops were not allowed to be open. So there was a choke point there in terms of getting books out to consumers. 
But now here we are a year later, some comic book shops have figured out a new way of getting books out, distributing curbside service, home delivery, and all of that. So the survivors have figured out processes for getting books out to customers. But now Marvel is done with Diamond. Here, reading from the article, Marvel Comics has found a new distributor to get its comics into comic shops, Penguin Random House. Marvel has entered into an exclusive multi-year deal with Penguin Random House's distribution arm to deliver its comic books, trade collections, and graphic novels to the comic shop market, the direct market, beginning on October 1st. Now, they've been exclusive with Diamond since 1997, and they were working with Diamond prior to that. Uh, There was a point in time where Marvel decided to do their own distribution, and it didn't go well. So in 1997, they, they went back to Diamond, and they've been exclusive to Diamond ever since. Most of the big publishers, well, all of the publishers of comic books have used Diamond to distribute their books. Now, last year, Alterna Comics, Peter Smitty's outfit, they broke away from Diamond uh, because of shenanigans. They basically, you know, Diamond has uh, priorities in terms of which publishers get the most favored nation status. And Alterna, being a smaller press, didn't quite get the the customer service that they probably should have, they otherwise would have if they were big big like Marvel or DC. And then DC broke off, and Diamond did do a little reorganization, and, and they had this, this big promotion, you know, our comeback will be bigger than our setback, and they had the little yellow flyers and the posters and the, and the T-shirts. But at the same time, Diamond boxes were still showing up at the comic book shops, beaten, damaged. Uh, The comic book shops inside were not in the best of conditions at times. So things didn't really seem like they were improved, shall we say. But this decision here by Marvel, that now is DC and Marvel both deciding to use a different distributor other than Diamond, to get the books to the comic book shops. Now, the bookstores follow a different path anyway, but the comic books, the single-issue comic books, this is where it's a, a big deal, at least my understanding and how, how things are. The local comic book shops have been serviced by Diamond distributors for forever. This is This is big. And we have yet to see, because this is just breaking. So this story is going to develop. I'm not going to make a huge, big amount of speculation on what this is going to do to the market, because we want to see this play out. We want to see how people react. Because last time when DC did this, last, last year, some comic book shop owners were very vocal in their criticism of DC. The usual suspects, if you follow this kind of thing. So it's going to be interesting to see. We haven't seen reactions from anybody yet. We haven't seen a reaction from Diamond. They haven't made a statement. Nobody's nobody's come out and said anything yet that I know of. This is, like I said, this is just coming out here in the last hour. So it will be interesting to see what we see. And, uh, yeah, that's, wow, that's a big one. That's a very big one. And of course, for those of you who are not into comic books, I beg your indulgence every now and again when we talk about comic books. So, Anyway, so there is that breaking news. We will follow that. And like I said, usually I don't jump on stories right out of the gate. Uh, you know, if it's something big like this, sure, we'll mention it and we'll talk about it a little bit. But we're not going to get into in-depth analysis on what this means yet. Because it's still playing out. It's like everything else. You get the initial headlines, and then as the story unfolds, you get what Paul Harvey used to say, uh, what Paul Harvey called the rest of the story. And usually the story ends up not being what you assume it to be. 
So we're gonna we're gonna keep an eye on this one. This is a this is fairly seismic in the comic book industry. So I imagine Perch will be talking about it. Wes over at uh, Thinking Critical, they'll probably have something on it as well. And those guys do some really good analysis and uh, and commentary on the comics industry. So the usual people will be coming commenting on it. I'm sure. Uh, so we'll keep an eye on that as well. All right. So, uh, Darius, welcome to the chat. I'm seeing you in there. Hello. Thanks for being here. It's good to see new names in the chat every now and again. So, uh, well, it's good to see new names in the chat all the time. We see new names in the chat. So let me, let me clarify that a little bit. All right. So yesterday, Yesterday, we had Judah, Judah Engelmeyer on. We were talking about how corporate, corporate PR generally is something that either goes well or doesn't go well with fandom, depending on what's, what's going on. And as, as I'm going through... Uh, Afterwards, I'm, I'm thinking about various random different things. The train of thought. Now, I want you to stick with me here, but I, because I do have a point that I'm going to get to. I promise. But there was a moment yesterday I started thinking in theological terms. Not with regard to fandom, but this idea when people die and family members, the survivors, the people who are left behind make an assumption that this person has gone to heaven. They're in a better place. And for the most part, a lot of times you have people who profess a faith in God. They have some kind of belief that involves an afterlife and heaven and, and hell and God and that kind of thing. And it struck me, what, what is it about the various different denominations that make them right? And this question plagued a number of ministers back in the late 1800s, Alexander Campbell being one of them, Barton W. Stone being another one. And they had this, this meeting, I believe it was in Kentucky or Tennessee. And the, the modern era Church of Christ movement came out of this. Some people call them Campbellites, which is not really that that kind of a thing. We're not like Lutherans or anything. But the idea then, because so many denominations believe so many different things when it comes to God, somebody has to be wrong. And how do you know that you're right? So at this meeting between Campbell and Stone and their followers and various different people there, they were saying, okay, well, let's just go back to basics. Let's just go back and look at what Scripture says and go, go to the very basics of the first century church. And there are congregations that have been doing that forever. And I got to thinking, there are so many different factions of fandom. There, if you look at Star Wars, for example, you have the fans of the original trilogy, you have the fans of the sequel trilogy, you have the fans of the prequel trilogy, you have fans of the animated Clone Wars stuff, you have Raylos, you have fans who hate The Last Jedi, fans who love The Last Jedi. There are all these different factions, and, and the factions have a tendency to bicker and fight amongst themselves. And you see this in all fandoms. Star Trek is no different. Doctor Who is no different. You have people who love Jodie Whittaker, people who don't like Jodie Whittaker. They, 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 they complain about what direction Chris Chibnall is taking the show. Star Trek the same way. People complain about Discovery. People complain about Star Trek Picard. 
fans of the classic original show. Oh, the next generation is never going to be as good. And you've got fans of the next generation. There, there are all sorts of different beliefs among fans. And if you look at it as schisms within a, a religion and not really, I don't, I don't want to say that fans are, are religious zealots like that. I'm just saying that in terms of you have a belief, you have a thing that you like. And fans like different things for different reasons. And where it begins to break down for me is you have people that decide... I like what I like, and you're not allowed to like what you like because it's different from what I like. And we hear about toxic fandom quite a bit of late, and I think a lot of that, a great deal of that, is fueled by media coverage who want the fighting. It's fueled by the social media, which allows everybody to be ugly to each other without very much consequence. And it got me thinking, when it comes to fandom, how do we get to the point where we stop fighting each other? Because that's just making things worse. Darius throwing me a super chat with some popcorn there, $1.49. Thank you very much, sir. The schisms among fandom, as it were, are caused by a number of reasons, a number of factors, a number of beliefs. There are people who think that Kylo Ren and Rey belong together. Now we've seen the kind of behavior that those people have demonstrated. They probably need to reevaluate a few things in their lives because you have people in that group who are still stalking Adam Driver. We just had a report here, the, the Broadway show that he was at. Some, some, some Raylo got up on stage and was, and was yelling at him. These are, these, are, these are not well people. Hello, Mazurus. Well, and we're finding out that Raylos were the ones who were responsible-ish, maybe, for the rewriting Ripley. Uh, hit piece that paints anybody who doesn't like The Last Jedi as a Nazi. And I'm thinking to myself, self, how do we get past the battles? How do we get past the fights? How do we get past the people perpetuating this idea that if you don't like what I like, you're harassing me. If you disagree with me, you're harassing me. If you criticize something I like, that's harassment. How? <laughs> Mesra says, yes, Raylos are a peculiar lot. Uh, Darius is, uh, Raylos are weird. I, I wouldn't categorize them as weird so much. But I do, I have observed, and this goes back to uh, what I have said about certain segments of fandom and social media, emotionally constipated. These are people who have never grown up for whatever reason. And they have spent a good deal of time on Tumblr Twitter, and reality tends to take shape around the online interactions rather than your real-life interactions. 
And I think that there's a lack of prioritizing mental and emotional health these days. There's a lot of people that go to therapy. And there are a lot of people who are taking pills to get themselves balanced. But sometimes it feels like it's one of those pat you on the head, sit you in the corner, go go be nice and, and quiet now type of situations. Maybe. I, I, I am not qualified to diagnose anything. But then you look at, you know, Star Trek, for example, or Doctor Who. Same kind of thing. Anybody, if you don't like the modern iteration of X, then you must be some sort of istophobe. You don't like Jodie Whittaker's doctor, you're automatically sexist. Matters not if you're complaining about the writing. It matters not if you're complaining about the pandering if you see pandering, it matters not if you're complaining about the way Jodie Whittaker is portraying the doctor. It's got nothing to do with the fact that she's a woman. I mean, the BBC has considered a woman doctor since all the way back to Tom Baker's time. It's not a new notion. So for people to sit there and, you know, and you're going to get some people who sit there and say the doctor has to be a man. I, I don't like Jody Whittaker. I don't like the idea of doc the doctor being a woman. That doesn't necessarily mean that the people who want a male doctor are sexist. I would say more originalists, if you want to put in a comparison to the Constitution, of the United States. Eastland in the chat, it used to be widely known that it was an entertainment product and that individuals might like it or might not. Being called a hater for not praising a movie is ridiculous. Agreed. 100%. Mazur says, I think what you're talking about evolved out of entitlement and expectation. People are used to getting their way, expecting to always be ruled as poignant and important. And that's, and that's the thing. Nobody, nobody has... This goes back to the whole iGen thing. You're wired into these devices. Everything happens now at your fingertips, on demand. I want it my way, and I want it now. Instant gratification. And, and some of them are spoiled. Mazers, you don't have to apologize for that. Some of them are very spoiled. And there's always been fan fiction, headcanon, the things that we like and the theories that we have that may not necessarily be part of the official record, but they are the things that we like. And they're the things that we use to explain the things that don't make sense. Until you get something official, your theory is just as good as anyone else's. Mazur says, my dad is not a liberal, but he's a Whovian since the 60s. He's always felt that a female doctor would be interesting. Wrap your head around that. He never approached the idea as a liberal. I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's a liberal conservative thing. Not as much as people might think. It's about power and control. And to bring it back to the comparison among religious schisms, denominations happen because certain people decide that they want to believe and teach a certain thing their way. 
Baptists, Lutherans, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, all of these came out of a human being deciding on a different interpretation of certain pieces of Scripture. We're going to teach it a different way because it makes us feel better, is generally how schisms happen. Now, some of those, like you look at what happened with Campbell and Stone back in, back in the 1800s, some of those schisms come from we just need to get back to basics. What the scripture says, that's what we teach. Nothing else. New Testament doesn't say anything about instruments. We don't use instruments. That kind of thing. And I have to wonder if maybe that kind of approach would help get us over the hump as it were, in terms of fan schisms. We spend so much time, certain, certain segments of fandom, spend so much time arguing and fighting over the things they don't like, we rarely spend any time talking about the common ground the things we do like that everybody likes. What is it about Star Trek that has made it last for over 50 years? What is it about Star Wars that has made it last for 40 plus years? What are the things that make these franchises work? What are the universal truths, as it were? Why has Tarzan survived for so long? John Carter, Sherlock Holmes, Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon, Luke Skywalker, King Arthur. The plays of Shakespeare. What makes a classic a classic? Why does it stand the test of time? And once you have those standards figured out, that philosophy, then you can use that philosophy to then compare and measure the stuff that is of the modern era. Does it hold up? Does it compare to the other stuff? If it does, why does it? What is it about this new stuff that makes it just as good as the old stuff? Or does it? Is it as good? Is it better? Is it worse? Does it matter? All right, looking at the chat here. Robert, welcome to the chat. This is when I was first reading comics in my Beagle Boys and Uncle Scrooge days, I was always fascinated by alt versions of characters, like the Beagle Boys having English cousins. Mazur says, maybe younger generations em embrace wokeness from a sense of wanting to be different, but by means of not wanting to have anything in common with the rest of us. That's a possibility, because there are times when you have the the generation the younger generation decides that they're going to reject the teachings of their fathers and they're going to strike out on their own and we're going to go out and we're going to do our own thing and there's a quote from Winston Churchill that comes to mind he's basically saying if if you're when you're if you're young and not a liberal, then you have no heart. If you're older and not a conservative, then you have no brain. I'm paraphrasing. But basically the idea is that when we are younger, the emotions take over. And stop and consider that the brain doesn't complete formation until you're about 25, 26, 27 years old, depending on biology 
So your brain is still forming. And the, the last thing to form in the brain is the frontal lobe. This part up here in the very front of your brain that allows for self-control. That's the last thing that gets put into place. And when you get to that point, your impulses don't drive you as much. And impulses are very much an emotional thing. And I think that's one of the reasons why progressives and liberals appeal to emotions and try to get the emotions stirred up. Because when you're feeling all hot and bothered and emotional and you get all agitated, you're not thinking. And logic goes out the window. There is no appeal to logic. It's all about how you feel. It's the feelings of the moment. And the problem with that is that feelings change. Logic does not. Truth doesn't change. There is such a thing as absolute truth, universal truths. How you feel about those truths will change. So to set your policies and to, and to decide what your process is going to be based on emotion is sometimes a very transient thing. And you may like something 30 years ago that you don't like now. Spaceballs, for example, has not aged well for me. Just saying. And I think one of the reasons why a lot of these stories become classics is because of their use of archetypes and their universal truths, the ideas behind the characters and the stories. Not, not the, the stories themselves so much. It's what the stories mean. And, and, I, and I hesitate, I got to be careful in that because that sounds very much like message fiction, and it's not. Message fiction, just so we can delineate our, our definitions here, message fiction puts a priority on, well, I want to preach this message. Now here's the story wrapped around the message. Whereas your classic literature, your, your classics that stand the test of time, tell the story... And in the subtext of the story, underneath the surface of the story, there is the moral of the story. And you either can get it or not, and it doesn't affect how you enjoy the story. You can read The Count of Monte Cristo. You can read The Three Musketeers. You can read Buck Rogers. And you don't have to start drawing comparisons on political movements or theory or whatever. The universality of some of these things, the archetypes, you look at King Arthur, Luke Skywalker, Marty McFly, they're all the same character. We were talking about on H2O the other night, Superman is Moses. There are universal truths. These are archetypes. Merlin, Doc Brown, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Xena you know, and Wonder Woman and Lara Croft. You know, the strong female woman, the strong, the strong female character, Lynn, uh, 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 Sarah Connor. 
Ellen Ripley. They have common characteristics because they are of a type. And if we as fans could sit there and say, okay, these are all the things that we know to be good about these stories, that at the very least would give us some common ground and we can maybe, possibly, get along a little better. Because here's a universal truth. The studios, the people who are making this product, only care about you from the standpoint of how much money you spend on their product. They don't care if you like the story or not. They don't care if you like a particular casting of a character or not. The bottom line is the bottom line is the pocketbook. Do you buy the product, whether you're subscribing to a streaming service or buying the action figures or the comic books or the novels or the video games? Are you spending money on the franchise? And if not, why not? But the people that are making these products now, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday with Judah Engelmeyer, the corporations are so afraid of those 12 crazy people on Twitter that they are making decisions and internally some of them know that they are making decisions that are bad for business in order to appease the emotions of the moment from a particularly loud but small group of people. And you can apply this universally not just to franchises and genre. It's not just Star Wars or Star Trek or Battlestar Galactica or Doctor Who or your pick your video games, The Last of Us. It's the NFL. It's Lego. It's shaving products and shoes. It's computer products. It's browser services. It's financial services, insurance companies. All of them are affected by this. They are so worried about the now that they're not thinking in terms of the later. They're not thinking about long term. They just want to survive today. And they want to do that by avoiding controversy from people who would call them out on social media. And fandom is doing it just as much. And they're doing it to each other, calling each other out because we don't agree you must be evil. Seventy says these kids don't understand the archetypes because they're uneducated. I, I agree. I would agree with that. Not just, not just um, public education. Because that does, that does fail our kids quite a bit. But it's also the, the classical liberal education. And classical liberal, I don't mean liberals like on the left politically like we have liberals now. The classical liberal education is very much a well-rounded the 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 everyman knows a little bit about a little bit about everything not not necessarily a jack of all trades type 
But a well-rounded education includes literature, art, music, finance, business, social mores, decorum, and and um, oh, what's the word that it just it just flew out of my head. Politeness. There's a word for that. It's, that's not politeness. It's yeah. Anyway, Mazer says uh, <clears throat> the owner of IP might not want to do with the fans request. Basically, we've cultivated a modern culture that rewards those first who scream the loudest. Strength in monetary numbers has taken a side seat, a sidecar seat to how loud you can pontificate. I would I would say that that's true to a certain extent. Yes. Stephanie says, looking at, at rewriting Ripley, I feel like I see kids who never played imagination games as kids. Childhood play is mimicking adult work. They're stuck in a place where they never matured after a certain age. Uh, yeah, and that's what I've been saying emotionally constipated junior high mean girls. And I know Mazers would disagree and say high school, but I think some of that behavior starts to set in in junior high. That's when the cliques start to form because you have in junior high, you have the football team, you know, athletics start to become a thing. You've got band, you've got cheerleaders, you have the pep squad, you have the publications team. All of those things start to form. The different interest groups start to form in junior high. And the emotions of becoming teenagers starts then. And that's when you start to get those little we're better than you clicks. It accelerates and exacerbates in high school. It gets worse. But it starts in junior high. And a lot of these people have never grown up out of that. Or something has happened to them that they've regressed back to this because it's, it's comfortable. It's the, it's the hoodie you don't get rid of. It's the sweatshirt you never, you never toss out. It's the security blanket. We revert back to that which makes us feel better about ourselves in a moment of everything around me makes me feel unsafe. And that goes back to prioritizing mental and emotional health, especially after this year. Eastland says the archetypes are understood by the uneducated. These kids are reared to be callous and not emotionally mature, almost narcissists, knowing how to act in public and deal with others. That that is that's part and parcel to what I think is going on with with so many in a in a an entire generation being wired into devices so much. Get out of the house. And I speak that, that with a certain degree of irony because this right here, me sitting here in the studio at my desk in my office, this is most of my life. I spend a great deal of time right here producing shows, hosting shows, writing reviews, going through all of the different news sources in order to get everything together for prep for Saturday morning. Oh, this is, this is my life. And I can appreciate the irony of sitting here saying that you need to get out more. I know I need to get out more. Cause I need my vitamin D. But we've also got no point where it's a tough thing to consider dealing with people because I see how people act. 
I see how people are acting online. And this goes back to the post that Gina Carano had posted that got her fired where neighbors are turning on neighbors. And I'm not saying that anybody in my neighborhood is bad. My neighbors are fine. But in general, this this notion of telling on each other. We see it now. The, re, the, the rewriting Ripley people are trying to get various different YouTube channels shut down. They're reporting and mass flagging and these people should not be allowed to speak. And that goes back to that quote from uh, the dwarf in, in George R. R. Martin's stories. If you cut out a man's tongue, it's not because you think he's telling a lie. It's because you're afraid of what he's going to say. These people are fascists when it comes to shutting down, making efforts to shut down anyone that doesn't agree with them. And we are running the risk, we are at risk of falling victim to the tyranny of the very limited ideas that we're not allowed to disagree with. And it ignores all of the other things that we have in common. The destruction of fandom is just a generation away, is always a generation away. It's just like everything else. The marketplace of ideas is just as fluid as the marketplace of products, whether it's shoes or computers or cell phones or T-shirts, pottery, sewing kits. I mean, you take your pick. The best will survive. The stuff that works will survive. And that's true of the things we like in our fandom as well. That's true of the franchises that we enjoy. Things will survive because enough people say, more of this, please. And, and whether that's ratings or view count or whatever, whatever measure they're using, at some point, things will come around and it will work out. And yes, we'll get some stuff that's not very good in the meantime. Star Trek Picard. But eventually... fingers crossed, maturity and responsibility will win the day. And from a business standpoint, you will, at the, and maybe we're seeing a little bit of a turn in events now. Maybe we've rounded a corner with the whole Gina Carano thing blowing up because there are people inside the corporations who know that kowtowing to the woke mob is a bad idea and is bad for business. And eventually, there are going to be enough of those people who stand up and say, that's it. Enough is enough. And things will start to turn around, maybe. Maybe. I don't think that it's too late. I don't think that it's hopeless cause for us to try to get along. I think that there are there are those out there you like what you like and that's fine and i like what i like and that's fine 
And if we don't agree, that's fine too. But if you're going to violently disagree, and if you're going to threaten me, if you're going to try to silence my voice because you don't like what I have to say, that's where it becomes a problem. And that's what needs to be dealt with. And at some point... Maybe YouTube will get it. The fact that they had a, a half-hour discussion with uh, Jeremy at the quartering yesterday and probably had his lawyer there in, in attendance as well, half-Asian super lawyer. Maybe YouTube is starting to wake up to the fact that some of their processes and systems are being abused the false flagging and the, the false copyright strikes and the mass reporting, the brigading. Maybe there's hope. I have to think that there's a little bit. Because if you look at fandom as hopeless, that we will never recover and we will never be allowed to enjoy anything ever again, then why do we bother? Why do we bother with these YouTube channels and letters to the editor and our weekly visits to the comic book shop on Wednesdays? Why do we bother? That's the question that everybody needs to ask of themselves. Why do I bother? What is it that keeps me coming back? What do I like about this that makes all the pain and hassle worth it? That's your universal truth when it comes to that particular franchise. <clears throat> Stephanie makes a good point. These people seek to destroy what we love in order that they can have what they love take precedence and they don't understand what they're doing. I would agree with that because there are some people who are making the thing in the franchise who don't understand the thing in the franchise. J.J. Abrams is a good example of that, making Star Trek and doing a bunch of interviews saying that when he was growing up, he never liked Star Trek. So why do you put somebody like that in charge of the thing? Mazur says this has to get better, otherwise all the future holds is nonsense like the non-religious, non-denominational Christmas play in South Park. <laughs> yeah. You take out everything that offends everybody, and what do you have left? Not a lot. Manners. A certain amount of consideration for those who don't agree with you. But at the end of the day, just like in religious circles, there are, there, there are certain things that are true, whether you like them or not, whether you believe them or not. There are certain things that are real, whether you want them to be real or not. And that goes to emotions and logic. That goes to fundamentals of storytelling, whether it's archetypes or plot. There are certain things that are so. And you saying it's not so doesn't mean anything. Some things are true whether you believe them to be true or not. Some things are a matter of opinion. And just like in churches, we teach doctrine. The doctrine is the, tr is the universal truth. This is what we find in Scripture to be our truth as, as the book says. How we go about doing certain things, matters of, an, of opinion, 
that's not a that's not going to affect salvation. And in franchises and IPs that that you enjoy, whether Star Trek, Star Wars, Doctor Who, Battlestar Galactica, Mario, whatever, there are certain things that make this popular. There are certain reasons why this has lasted so long. And there are other things that are incidental, that don't matter in the grand scheme of things, of why this story is a classic. And you can have stories that are classics that nobody likes. Moby Dick is a good example of that. There's something to be said for archetypes. There's something to be said for those universal elements of storytelling that make things work. They work and they continue to be used because they work. The young boy hero who becomes a man. The damsel in distress. The strong woman warrior. The wizened mentor. The evil villain. And the evil villain's master. These are universal things. King Arthur... Luke Skywalker, the same character. In Kidu, is Spock, is Robin, is Dinah Girl. I mean, the, 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 the sidekick, the faithful companion, Tonto, Kato, Chingachgook. These things last because they resonate with us. And fighting about the incidental stuff ruins everything else. And it makes it more difficult for these things to last for others to enjoy. If you're going to take away... Now, let, uh, hang on. Let me back up on that. You can't take away... And I say universal you. I don't mean you as my audience here. In the general main idea of things... You can't take away my enjoyment of certain aspects of Star Trek. You can't take away my enjoyment of Star Wars, of the things of Star Wars I enjoy. Now, there are some pieces of Star Wars I don't enjoy. And there are some pieces of Star Trek I don't enjoy. And, and you know, go down the line. There are things I like, things I don't like. There are stories that are told that I don't enjoy. Eh, okay, whatever. I'm not a big fan of The Crystal Star by Vonda McIntyre. Vonda McIntyre is an excellent science fiction writer, but she missed the mark on that particular Star Wars book. I wasn't a big fan of the Yuuzhan Vong or any of that. I, I get what they were trying to do. It wasn't my thing. Nobody called me names for it. Star Trek, I mean, there are plenty of novels out there. How Much for Just the Planet by John Ford? I didn't like it. Tim Harvey loves that book. And that's fine. You like what you like. I like what I like. You don't have to hate me for that. And it's those schisms that we need to somehow be able to set aside and say enough is enough is enough because what we're doing to ourselves is just crazy times. Yeah, Mazur says, you know, JJ didn't want to direct Into Darkness. That's right. You know, they, the people in charge now, and, and this goes back to something that I've, that I've noticed and comments have been made on this before. 
an understanding of classic literature, Shakespeare, the Bible, Aesop's fables, Grimm's fairy tales, Three Musketeers, Moby Dick, Canterbury Tales, Great Expectations, you know, all of, all of the classics, right? There are fundamentals of storytelling that the people that are in charge of the things now, the people that are in charge of the studios now are younger. And they grew up on television. They might or might not have a familiarity with literature. And the literature is much deeper, much richer, because television, you only have 44 minutes, 22 minutes. Movies, you got two hours, maybe three, maybe four. You have a limited amount of time, and so you're restricted, and you end up using a lot of shorthand. Things get missed. And there are fans who don't understand literature just as much as the creators of these new things don't understand literature or storytelling. Instead of name-calling, we should be making efforts to educate those new fans in the history, the legacy of story, not necessarily Star Trek, but story in general. Robert McKee's book, Story, is an excellent example of that. You read Flannery O'Connor. There's, there's literature, there's literary movements that affect how we tell stories now. And I think some of that is lost. You look at what George Lucas did with Star Wars as a synthesis of so many different sources, fables and mythology and, and the Western and the World War II films and Kurosawa films. It's a, it's a blending of all of those things. And the people that are making movies now, making the television shows now, may or may not be as steeped in those stories as the people what come before. We need to be more tolerant of each other. We need to be more understanding of each other. And I'm not saying that our, you know, our side or anything like that. People just need to, to have a little bit more patience with everybody else. We don't all have to agree. We don't all have to get along. But there is no need to hate on each other, to insult each other, to abuse the system to try to silence people. It's a bad bit of business. And eventually, it will be bad for business, and the studios need to understand that as well. All right, that's going to do it for us. Stephanie's got to run. We do, too. We're already past our hour, so we'll wrap up here. Uh, thanks to everybody in the chat. It was a very lively conversation over there. Stephanie, Mazuris, Robert, Eastland. Who else is over there? Uh see. I saw somebody else early. Darius. Uh, good to see all of you. And Darius, again, thanks very much for the super chat. And if any of you have the time, if you would take a moment to go over on to our Twitch channel, if you've got a Twitch account over there, follow us there. We're trying to get up to 100 followers so we can start our watch parties. In the meantime, uh, you can check out any of the rest of the videos. Take a look at that video that we did with Judah Engelmeyer yesterday. That was a very interesting conversation about what's going on with corporate PR woes. And we will have possibly, hopefully, we hope maybe 
a new tartar sauce this weekend, Saturday, 1 p.m. Eastern. They are continuing, I believe, their conversations about Torchwood. So that's going to be Saturday. And, of course, on uh, also on Saturday, we have uh, all, the, all the week's headlines on Good Morning Multiverse that morning. So we do hope you join us for that. And, uh, of course... All of the other videos. Right now we have seven shows in production here at Sci-Fi for Me TV. Surely there is something that you will find that you might like. And if you do, give us a thumbs up and share it. Let people know that you found us. And uh, if you like us, tell other people that you like us. We're slowly growing. Our next milestone is 1,650 subscribers. That's the goal. Try to get that by the end of the week. So uh, thanks very much, everybody, for being here, Joachim. Uh, jo Joachim, is it? Uh, that's a that's a that's a name I've not seen in here before. Welcome, good to see you there, uh, Darius. Great conversation. Thanks very much for that comment and the feedback. Of course, if you want to send us an email live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com, you can always leave a comment if you are not here live. And let us know what you think about these topics and give us suggestions for topics and suggest guests that we can invite because I do like to have conversations and invite people on here to do interviews with these hours. It doesn't always have to be just me talking uh, like today. So uh, there we are on our way out. Thanks very much for watching. And remember, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2021, by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.